Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Blair. Everything's been quiet recently on the podcast front as I'm filming the fucking documentary. Uh, shit's going off, it's all a good laugh. This particular episode is a conversation with Amy Chiaretto and Jamie Roberts. This is pretty much a PR support group where we all exchange war stories. Well, I don't. I don't have any fucking PR stories. Anyway, let's jump into it. One, two, fuck shit up. the world has sort of come now into my world into the roadrunner world is and i'm pretty happy with like in terms of research because i mean last time we spoke we had quite a, more of a clinical sort of academic conversation about roadrunner yes. as a role um, and how it came to be i feel like i'm coming to the end of that line of inquiry and i'm now like guys just hold my hand and talk me through some fucking filth <laughs> let's get all the the fun stories and and, and all that stuff like out in the open where we can obviously as you know amy i edit this stuff down so if there's anything off the record you just gotta wink and nod and i'll i'll make sure it doesn't um, reach the um the old interwebs i know you were really like i said last time i mean yeah no it was good i mean it was very it was a good conversation obviously but it was more focused on how the business was run and how each person that you talked to about how they that what their role was in the company in the business mm. of selling records and breaking bands yeah i mean the whole idea is that we that we look at we look at this holistic picture of what roadrunner did and we have to sort of go understand that it wasn't an accident oh and that, yeah that's that's kind of the meat of it for me academically and then we can go on to the you know then we can embellish that and make it pretty with all the rock and roll stuff um plenty of that <laughs> oh god yeah god but i think um i'll be doing jamie a disservice if we didn't take some of the biographical um angles well and also amy and i didn't overlap we tried i tried to hire her a hundred times <laughs> but, but uh when i left shortly after you came right when did yeah, you start? I, you left right before i started uh and then when you came back i was there i was already right 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 right, right right yeah i was there twice i was there uh from 1997 i know it was the summer because i was horrified by how many people were on Ozfest that year uh i think it was like five bands i think it was like type o machine head cold chamber vision of disorder and God, i don't remember who the fifth one was <laughs> but um i got there yeah summer 1997 and i quit in 2001 i was at universal for a couple of years right uh, Universal merged with Motown, so then I went back the day after I got let go from Universal because of the merger. Right, okay. And then when did you... And I was there 2003 to 2006. Got it. Right, okay. So how did you get your foot in the door in the first place? Um, I was working in a label called The Enclave. It was run by Tom Zutout, the guy who discovered Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses. Roses. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And he had like a little boutique label that was half funded by emi and half funded by uh virgin right okay and we spent so much money that it was like obscene <laughs> we had our company retreat in london when our band fluffy played with uh, the sex pistols right. so, <laughs> so we were going out of business pretty quick uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then I heard about the Roadrunner job. 
Right. And I came in to meet Jonas and he was like, oh, meet Case. And Case said to me, do you like metal? And I said, not really. And he's like, good. <laughs> he's like, we'll be doing things other than metal also. So, you know, if that's good. And they said, can you get stuff in Rolling Stone? And I said, sure, why not? I didn't know I could, but I thought I could. It's a, it, it, the timing is all right as well, because that particular year is when they do like all the crazy expansion stuff and they start trying to bring in some pop and a little bit of rap and a bit of this and a bit of that. It's also the time yeah. the case sends out the Roadrunner Crossroads email, which is basically has a big call to action that case goes, look, it's not, it's not 1993 anymore. We need to do something. We need to shape things up. We need to get some more licensed um, product in. We need to do all this stuff. And then obviously immediately afterwards we have, can slip not a nickel back and we enter this triple a period which we're all fond of and some of us lived through um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so let's 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 kick off then jim did did you have a in fact actually I'll, I'll, i did some homework where i could what's your link with absolute vodka specifically on october 24th 1998 i don't know absolute vodka net site taps into dj culture and apparently there was some kind of launch party Oh, that might have been one of the ESP Sun uh, artists. Um, <laughs> because uh, we had a dance label called the ESP Sun. And mm -hmm. that was the kind of stuff I actually liked. <laughs> but is this like a Roadrunner imprint? No. Yeah, it was a Roadrunner oh, yeah, imprint. I, yeah, I love this shit. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Let me, let me, let yeah, me. When I got there, the only imprint was ESP Sun and John Trepp ran it. I've heard that name um, before, but I didn't. Have, I didn't have the name of that that side. I know there was one in the UK, a dance level called Lafayette. Um, oh, see, I didn't know that. But yeah. <laughs> ESP Sun was the dance label, and he had like a couple of DJs. DJ uh, Spooky. Yeah, a DJ Hardware at one point, uh, Bad Boy Bill at one point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the dance label at the time. At the site's launch party for the media, October 5th, at New York's Irving Plaza, Gibbons and Calaro joined DJ Spooky, author Simon Reynolds, uh, Sonic Net Senior VP Goldberg, and Jamie Roberts of Roadrunner Records, publicity on a panel to discuss DJ culture and the role of new media, moderated by Blueboard online news editor Julie Tarasca. There we go. Oh, Julie Tarasca. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Julie was an old friend. Uh, oh. I don't think I knew at all what I was talking about, but I was on a panel. <laughs> that kind of happens from time to time. Um, I met Julie when I was at the Enclave working Bell and Sebastian. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and it was like, she was very like hipster writer and I thought it was too cool for me to be friends. Gosh, with going from that. Bell and Sebastian to Coal Chamber, well, that's quite a shift. I know. It was, my, my transition was them wanting me at the Enclave to be the tour manager for Bell and Sebastian to working to, to my first Roadrunner band I met being Machine Head. <laughs> that's a good one to start with, though. <laughs> yeah, I was on their bus and I met Johnny Kelly that day, too. Um, but... <laughs> Johnny was, I get on the bus and, and nobody knows me, of course. So I'm like going around going, hi, I'm your new publicist. Like, you know, and Johnny goes, Roadrunner? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> That's very typo though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. And I'm to this day, I'm still very close with Johnny. So, um, when was the last time you guys saw each other then? Oh, maybe his daughter, Sweet 16, in person. That was the last time we saw each other. Johnny, uh, God, that was like four years ago, five years ago. I mean, you two, but. Oh, me and Amy. Oh. <laughs> Amy, when did we see each other? I, 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 I thought, was it a show? Time. I know it's been a minute. We talked a lot. Yeah, uh, we talked whenever, whenever something, I, I can't figure something out myself, I call Jamie. Uh, no, and I know Jamie will always give me the right advice, and she will always be the um, the um, the the business yang to me being overly emotional and giving too many fucks. Um, yeah, she will she always pull me back from that ledge. But um, I don't know when uh, we, it had to be a show. It had to be a show yeah. because the last time I remember us sitting down and talking and not having loud music behind us was at uh, some barbecue with Mark Shapiro. Yeah, God, that was that was years ago, though. That yeah, was when we started talking about the glasses. Always. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, Amy and I, we haven't seen each other in a while, but we do talk all the time. And these days, especially with COVID, I feel like that's just as good as seeing someone. Sure. You know? It is. Sure. Okay, Jamie, you said you, you made some notes when I said that I wanted the filth like a couple of days ago, I sent an email saying we're going to focus. I don't really have filth because I'll tell you why. Everyone was scared to be inappropriate in front of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> why that bypassed me, I don't, I'm not really sure. Right. Well, <laughs> Maybe because they saw me as the little sister that they could, you know, um, party with it and you were like the mom. <laughs> yeah, I was like the not cool one. So <laughs> I, I, I was like, all right, TikTok, let's go, everybody. You know, like you'd be the one being like, you need to do this, get over here and do this. And I'd be like, and you'd be like, all right, I'm going, I always remember this story when we went to um, Florida with obituary. Um, <laughs> and you were like, they want to go dirt track racing. I'm going to the hotel and going to sleep. You go out with the band. And I was like, okay. So I went, I remember Trevor Perez from Obituary had this really small rented car. Yeah. And, and that's why I couldn't go. Yeah, you would. And I went out with them and, and we went out and we went dirt track racing with an Alan who had drove that big truck, the guitarist. He drove, and I remember he got out of the car and forgot to put it in park and it started rolling down the street. Oh, God. I and heard we picked that. up, it was with Frank, um, you know, who, who passed away, Frank Watkins, who uh. was awesome. Uh, and we went dirt track racing in Florida. And I remember being out till like two in the morning. And I remember they were like, we're going to, um, I got, I, we ate boiled peanuts, which I had never had, which is like a Southern cuisine. Yeah. And I remember years later when I did an interview with one of the guys from Mastodon and I was like, oh, um, you know, I was like, what's your favorite Southern food? And they were like, boiled peanuts. I was like, oh, I had those before. And they're like, them shits is good. And I'm like, they really are. But we yeah. went and it was just like, a well, I knew it wouldn't like, be as fun if I went. Oh, it would have been fun if you would have well, went. It was okay. like, like, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, I carried the night on and we were out yeah. super late and it just made life easier when obituary would come to New York for a show and do a day of press and I would already know them and for, I, you know, Frank Watkins, I would pick them up from New Jersey, drive them into Manhattan to go to Sirius, take them back to SOU. So, um, I, I, you know, I always loved it, you know, there was, but it was like, sometimes when you were the person that they were having a good time with, you still had to always make sure that when we're not having a good time, mm. they listen to you because oh, there were yeah. many times where Des and Rob Flynn, because we were such bros, they're like, Oh, we'll do the interview later. And I'd be like, no, we're not doing the interview later. We're doing it now. 
And there were times when I had to chase those guys and they, I think they were like, oh, it's Amy, our bro. And I'm like, no, no, it's not Amy, our bro. It's Amy, your radio person. And then your are Right, <laughs> right. I mean, and they would hide from me sometimes. And I remember Sepultura used to talk about me in Portuguese. And I understand a little bit of Portuguese. And I was like, don't be mean. And they all looked at me like, you know. <laughs> I, can't even, well, I, I think of Max and I think of Sepultura still. But oh, I'm my God. Yeah, I mean, I do I do too. But at the time, it was Derek Green Sepultura. Yeah, so. right, right, of course. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of figured that I could be one of two ways. Either I could be the friend and have fun with people. Or I could be the mom and not partake in the fun. And that's what I chose. I think me and Michelle Kerr were the ones that were like straddled the line between yeah. being the friend and the, and the radio publicist, you know, their, their, their colleague for work. I think me and Michelle Kerr did a really good job of straddling yeah. those lines. Well, I, I knew I was a pushover. I couldn't do both. No, I think you were, cause you were like, you know, you probably, you know, because at that point with the way Roadrunner was growing, I think your job was probably harder because you're the one that they're going, Hey, Jim, when are we getting Thornley on uh, Jay Leno? You know, mm-hmm. and your, your best line ever, we'll get it when it's gettable. And I still use that to this day that you said that 20 years ago in a meeting. And I still say it to this day when people ask me about something and I'm, and I'm working on it. And it's not there yet. I say, I'll get it when it's gettable. And you said that in front of a room full of people. And I was like, she's my new hero, my personal hero. But Jamie, you, I think you had the harder job because you know, you were stepping into like needing, like our bands were getting higher profile looks yeah. and the pressure was on, you know, why we got to get these it bands. It was a big jump. You're right. It w- That was the time of like really big leaps for us mm-hmm. as a label. And Hey, I was making the leaps with the label. I mean, I, I like, I had done some cool stuff, but not like the stuff I was able to do with like Slipknot and Nickelback mm-hmm. and all of them, you know? Uh, and Junkie XL, which got cooler stuff than Slipknot and Nickelback did at the time. Um, what's but- the difference though? Like, what's the, what's the difference between a if you Slipknot rolling into town versus versus an obituary? Because I, I imagine the demands are different, but surely like the output's the same, right? You just got gotta behave, you gotta speak to these people like your friends, and get well- on with it. Well, I mean, yes and no, like obituary, like it was a little bit more logistics than it was press. Like it was like, okay, if we get these five things, we've got to make them last because Slipknot, we could get a hundred things. Oh, okay. But we have to do even two of those hundred things was, was, was a, was a logistical challenge too. Oh my God. I'll tell you about the time I almost quit my job in Las Vegas because of Slipknot. But... (laughs) Oh my God, Amy, were you working at the company at this point? I think you might've been, I I think you might've been doing radio. Like I was supposed to go for a week to Las Vegas. First three days of the week was Slipknot in town doing shows, doing two shows. And then the last, the second to last day, like the fourth day was Chad from Nickelback in a poker tournament that I booked him for, celebrity poker tournament. I'm pretty sure I was there. Yeah, I think you were you were doing radio then. Um, and then the last day was a Nickelback show at the Palms. And um, I checked in, I, I stayed at the Palms all week. 
and and not only did the repetitive music of the palms make me want to like strangle someone but slipknot would not do things i had revolver there and that was when they did the three covers the three different photos of three guys each and like the band was like after we do we rehearse you can do the photos right and i'm like all right tick tock we've got to do the photos i'm standing there maybe four hours and the editor the photo editor revolver um was like what is fucking going on when are we going to get these pictures and i went to i think at the time it was steve uh, and I said, what is going on? We need these pictures. And they're like, yeah, we'll do them. Let's do them now. 15 minutes a piece. I got 45 minutes to shoot three covers. Mm. I was so angry. And then they forgot to put my name on the list that night at the show. And I was like, fuck these guys. <laughs> I started drinking. I called my sister and I go, I'm quitting my job. And she's like, what? And I'm like, if you don't come to Las Vegas, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> she was like, okay. And like, I flew her to Las Vegas to just like calm me down. Jesus. They were horrible to what work. What year was this? Oh God. Uh, let's see. It was mm, 2000 maybe? 2001 2001 i'm not going to speak far because i don't know them but this is like these are 20 something lads oh yeah no i know uh, their first Ozfest. oh right that'll be 99 right um no 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 that actually no this had to have been the 2003 to 2006 time period okay that that photo shoot because i remember in the first period it was like their first Ozfest. it was west palm beach florida and I went down because my parents lived in West Palm Beach, so I figured I'd go and meet the new band. Um, I basically had like nine ducklings walking in back of me everywhere I went. And, and Amy, I think I've told you this story. Um, I They had like a henna tattoo thing in like the Ozfest, like- The village. You know, yeah, the village. And I got a big tribal S <laughs> my forearm and I showed it to them I go look look what I got and they go you gotta get a real one and I look at them and I go when your album goes platinum <laughs> needless to say I've avoided them and avoided that topic since their album went platinum <laughs> yeah was there anyone that was on the roster that was just habitually a fucking nightmare for both of you or do you have both have different nightmares really remember anyone being a particular nightmare other than Slipknot's uh early manager um prior to Corey because Corey's great but um Steve Richards who uh, R.I.P uh you know um but he was horrible to me I flew all the way out to LA to meet with him I stood at his door he watched me on the camera and did not answer it Wow. and let me go back to new york without meeting with me jesus yeah I don't he was I the worst that was I it i think it's it's the bands themselves you know sometimes it's just people but sometimes it's people that are surrounding them that make it harder but um i would say i was really blessed because like i always tried to like my and i felt it was effective 
and sometimes it sucked, but I felt it was effective that I did become really, you know, have really good, strong friendships mm. uh, that carry over to this day, you know, uh, with a lot of the bands that I worked with. I always wanted them to, you know, I wanted to, to be able to be on that level with them. And, you know, some of my best memories, and I think I said this last time, uh, were with Rob Flynn and, and the Machine Head lineup of The Blackening, uh, yeah. Dave McLean, Phil Demel. Uh, Adam, like, I mean, and Rob Lynn, like, you know, I, I adore him. And and most people say, you know, Rob is a tough guy. Like Rob, I would not mess with him. And he is a very strong minded, strong opinions. Uh, he makes him, his voice heard, but I love him like family. And, you know, and I loved everybody in that band and I love Dez to death too. I fought with him. Like we were related. I mean, there, I have, I, I had brutal fights with him on the phone, hanging up with him. Don't call me back, you know, um, you know, don't, you know, and, and to this day, I still love him like a brother too. It was like, you know, it was like, we were, we were in we were in the shit together and working so close together. You could not have that relationship with them. Sure. And I was like, you know, I was younger. I'm younger than Jamie is. And I would be like, oh, I'm going to go, um, Machine Head's tour. I'm going to go see them in Boston and I'll go to DC and I'll go to Philly and I'll go to Jersey and I'll go to Only York. band I ever did that with was Slipknot. <laughs> I did that many times with them too, <laughs> but um, yeah. a lot of times with them, it was it was a little harder. Uh, and, and I had a great relationship with Corey, Corey Taylor, Clown, Joey, Paul Gray, RIP to both of them. Um, you know, Jim Root, I had great relationships with them because I would work with all the side bands too. And I'd be really on the ground level with like Murder Dolls and Stone Sour. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the slip that was hard because that machine is so um, well-oiled, like there were times I was like, all right, we're going, we're doing MTV, we're doing music choice. And then we're doing VH1 and then we're out. And if Joey's like, would be like, Hey, I, I gotta go. I gotta boom, boom. It wasn't a lot of time because the time you got with them, it was precious to get your work done. And you couldn't go back to the oh, office yeah. and be like, Oh yeah. Corey Taylor missed that MTV interview. That was not an option. You had to make sure it happened no matter what. So yeah. Um, oh, yeah. they were a little bit harder to have, but they were great. I loved them. I had a great relationship with everybody in that band, but it was different with certain bands that you, you know, it was like, all right, I know after the show, I'm going to be out far too late hanging out with Machine Head, but in a good way. <laughs> well, Machine Head used to come around around my birthday every year. And it was funny because I talked to Rob recently because he, uh, he interviewed KK Downing on his show, on his podcast. Okay. And Rob was like, it was funny. Rob didn't realize it was me, Aim. So I was oh, really? like, yeah, I go, Robbie, <laughs> and he goes, what? Because <laughs> that's what Sophie used to call him. Mm -hmm. And then I turn on my camera and he goes, holy shit, it's you. And I'm like, yes, dummy. We've been emailing back and forth for like a week. <laughs> He's like, I didn't realize it was you. Yeah, so. that way. <laughs> and, and I remember, um, I remember that like, like typo were more my contemporaries. Like I'm more their age than I am the right. age of other bands, um, which is I think why I spent so much time with them and we got along so well. Hmm. Uh, Josh used to try and psychoanalyze me on the couch in his suite at, at the La Park Hotel in LA whenever we were there for press. Because uh, both his parents are psychologists. <laughs> so he was always trying to psychoanalyze me. Um, and then I remember when we did press for World Coming Down in New York. Right. And it was at the Chelsea Hotel. And I thought I was smart. It was like the sweltering heat of summer. And the air conditioning broke. 
and Peter was already in a horrible mood. So he would not do the press until I got bottles of wine, of red wine. <laughs> so I had to go out and buy also them. Like him. Uh -huh. you yeah. make, can you just make those demands? Can you just go yeah, out and do He could. He's like, I'm not doing anything until I get wine. And you Let knew that if you didn't have wine when Peter Steele was doing an interview, like it wasn't going to be good. So it was like, <laughs> let's just get him the wine to make it better. <laughs> he almost punched a journalist from Germany that day. I was like, all right, I'm getting you wine, relax. So, um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. I mean, you were there for Roadrunner United, right? Yep, mm -hmm. that was uh, uh, quite uh <laughs> I was the only experience. one who didn't get to have fun at our Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, whew, Roadrunner United. Had, yeah, the no, most that was just about that. Well, the Roadrunner Christmas parties, you know, not the Roadrunner United one, but the, right. the annual Christmas party was always pretty wild. Oh, you it was know, the stuff of legend. I know. And I was like, please, is somebody going to steal my trash can again this year? And then when I come to work tomorrow, I'm not going to have anywhere to throw out. So throw things out it was every year it would end up missing. And you would hope nobody would take your chair. Oh, um, yeah. The buck roofs, you know, but. But the best was the day I quit in 2001 was the first day that that 36 crazy fist came into the office mm. and it was me veronica um matt Polin, and i think no i don't remember who else was with us but we went out drinking with them and they forgot where their hotel was and i was like i just quit I can't put you up in a different hotel now. <laughs> I couldn't get anyone on the phone. So I had to get them a room at the Gramercy Park Hotel. Is that like, what, what kind of hotel is that for, for non, for old York residents such as myself? Right. It was, it, it's much nicer now than it was then they redid it. Right. But it wasn't a dump. It was like a nice hotel, like right by Gramercy Park. And it was like around the corner from the office. Right, so okay. it's like, you guys are so dumb, I have to put you right near the office. So <laughs> I, I got them a hotel room, and it was Brock and, and the drummer, and they were fighting. And I was it also like, sounds like Brock and Thomas all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you need to be fucking quiet. Someone has video of this. Steve has video of this, by the way. He never showed anyone. But I had to, like, throw Thomas in the elevator. Um, <laughs> and I got them in their room, and they were literally fist fighting because they were so drunk. First time I met him, Brock had a black eye. And I was like, what happened? He was like, oh, Thomas and I got in a fight last night. I was like, what? Like, you're in a band and you beat the shit out of each other? Yes. They are the only band I know that can get thrown out of a party, each for a different reason. At Roadrunner awesome United, dude. they all got thrown out. They were super, they were like one of those baby bands. When I first started, th that was one of the first bands I worked, them in 5.0. They were like the new bands that were signed. And uh, I I didn't love 36 Crazy Fist's first record. And I really didn't like a snow-capped romance either until like four or five months after it came out, Mike D from Killswitch Engage said to me, 
you know, they took them on tour and I was like, man, I don't really like them. He goes, how do you not like them? It sounds like everything that you love, you know, cause Mike D knew what I was into and he goes, go back and listen to it. And then make sure you pay attention when they play live. And it just clicked for me. And I look at a snow romance as one of my top five favorite records that I ever worked. And one of the 10 best releases Roadrunner ever put out that what most are people other? have not heard. What's that? What are, your, what are your other top releases Roadrunner put out? Oh, I would have to say Alive or Just Breathing, which came out on my birthday. Um, I would say The End of Heartache, Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses, and All Hope is Gone, because that was, you know, All Hope is Gone was the number one record. Um, the Blackening, which is one of, hands down, another one of the best things Roadrunner ever released. Um, there's a lot of them. Any, you know, but All Hope is Gone is special to me because it was the number one. I worked at Madison Square Garden, sold out show on the back of that. Yeah. Um, the End of Heartache, because... Um, and the heartache is one of mine too. It, so. it, that record to me was just because like, I love Jesse and Howard in totally different ways. But I remember when the end of heartache came out, it came out the same day as the Thornley record came out. And I remember Thornley had K-Rock Airplay, Thornley had Snipes Around Manhattan, and Thornley had a TV appearance. And Killswitch Engage had the Young Turks working it. And it was metal radio and metal press and touring. And Thornley sold 6,000 records the first week and the end of heartache sold 40,000. And we were like, <laughs> What do you guys want to say about what the Young Turks can do? 40,000 records? Let's get them to 240,000. Yeah. That was one of the biggest moments of pride that I had working there was when that happened. And not because we didn't want to. I thought Ian Thornley was amazing. But it was like all the eggs were like everybody was putting all the um, – because it, was, it had the potential to be a huge smash. I understood that from a business perspective. But the Young Turks are the people who were the were the Sepultura, the the cynic, the this incarnate Sepultura Soulfly. We were the metal people, the people who said to Case, "We love Gojira." When he asked, "What did you sign?" You know. So um, when that happened, like we were just really, really, really pumped because we were like, "Here's our our metal band, which just came out of the gates and sold forty thousand records." The yeah. first. We were so awesome. happy because we and we were also coming off the back of. A flawless record with Alive or Just Breathing and Jesse leaving the band. And we didn't know what we had. I was the first person that saw Howard's first show at Hellfest. Howard, I was, it was me and Kenny and Vaughn, their managers, still their managers to this day. I was the only person at Roadrunner. And I was told my opinion was far too biased because I was close with the band because I loved them. And I was like, no, Howard was awesome, I promise. And I also love Blood Has Been Shed. But uh, my opinion was considered far too biased by, by the uppers. And I understood why, but... Um, so having the band come back and, and come out of the gates with the end of heartache like that was yeah. really powerful and really important, you know, really important, you know, and I'm so psyched because next week I'm getting to see the show, um, the, the kill switch, light the torch and August burns red. And I do all three bands, but I keep telling people don't tag me in the videos and don't, I'm not looking at the set list because I want to be surprised. Right, so, right. and I've been waiting for this tour for two years because it got canceled the day before I was supposed to go see it in 2020. And uh. it was the day after my dad's funeral. And I just needed that show. And, it, and now I'm getting it. So I, I'm just pumped. And I don't want to know what Howard and Jesse sing. <laughs> I already made my guesses. And I don't want to know if I was right. Oh, what about y'all's you know, Just like, you know, they were, they were the, I went to work at Roadrunner for three bands, Slipknot, Killswitch Gage, and Glassjaw. And, um, you know, it, it was really amazing to see a lot of that stuff happen as it did. And I only got to work like one Glassjaw tour and then they left. Um, my but. favorites were definitely Glassjaw, everything you ever want to know. Definitely about one of the best things we ever released. Um, Junkie XL, Saturday Teenage Kick. Sure. Um drugstore el president wow uh that drugstore divine the sheila divine a hundred i love those guys i am still his biggest fan 
um, and an end of heartache. Yeah, I mean, I I was far more into like the rock radio stuff, mm. um, and and I remember when Nickelback first came about, and I was like, I don't know, and they were like this, and Ron Berman was telling me this song's gonna be a huge hit, and he played How You Remind Me for me. I'm like, I don't really like it. And he was like, it's gonna be huge. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> and they were easy to get on television though i will say that mm. i remember when i got slipknot on tv for the first time um oh no not tv for the first time because that was conan and that happened a lot um wow. when i got them on the tonight show we were at rehearsals and we're sitting there and the booker comes in and goes i need to talk to you so i come out and i go what she's like I didn't know they wore masks. I go, why did you not look at what I sent you? What did you book? <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, you booked Nickelback and Thornley with me. So I figured it was like that. And I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> like, I guarantee you this record will be number one or number two. She's like, you better be right. <laughs> and it was number two, Avril Lavigne beat it. But, um, yeah but yeah she was like squeezing my hand through the taping at, while clown was like humping his drum his drums and i was like oh my god make it stop like i was she was squeezing my hand i was squeezing cory brennan's hand <laughs> was it, were the masks a massive deal in the u.s because in the uk it was the subject of because as, as i said before i mean like we only have like a, like single digit relevant publications all, all across the board in the UK and every single one was like all oh, these fucking guys you know sniffing dead crows and and we might have found the identity of I remember there was one they ran in the sun which is a shit rag newspaper um they said they found the identity of the Slipknot guys and it was just a picture of children of Bodum it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it was just five dudes <laughs> first people were like oh it's like insane clown posse and i was like no and everybody's like well they're all clowns right and i go no they're not and like i had a really hard time getting people to take them seriously from mm. looking at them but um i went their first cover story was alternative press and it was just Corey on the cover and uh, you wouldn't believe what a hard time i got for that I'm like, nine people aren't going to fit on the cover, you know, <laughs> but I went to Iowa with the writer for the story. Joey did not show up for the interview, um, but the other eight showed up. So they were doing all this stuff and they were doing the interview. And then somebody passed around a piece of paper and said, sign your name. So since Joey wasn't there, I signed Joey's name. They did handwriting analysis in the in the piece. Oh my god! <laughs> so the handwriting analysis for Joey is actually for me. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. What just said? You have unresolved issues with a family pet or something like that. Hey, you know, <laughs> it, it it could have been true, but um, but yeah. So that was that was interesting. That was kind of a sign of things to come. But also, yeah, like when you talk about the masks, like. 
um, when I started too, like Stone Sour and Murder Dolls, which are basically Joey and, Cor- and Corey Unmasked, mm. you know, we had to really come up with ways to how we were going to promote Stone Sour, especially because it was such a commercially viable band and had, you know, with Bother was such a different style, um, you know, song that we were used to with Slipknot and, um, you know, how we were going to work that and, and promote it. And, and Corey toured without the mask and he had a very different look back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really... Um, um it, it was it was funny and it was challenging because it was so different I, i'll actually share a funny Corey taylor story um from the stone sour era i remember um i uh i, I was going up to boston with lou mansdorf and you know him oh, you know Malibu lou. lou was the regional sales the the northeast regional sales guy and lou was like why don't you come up to boston with me we'll go do um stone sour is going to do an in-store at um um, Newberry Comics in New Hampshire before a show in Boston. We'll go up there. We'll have a good time. We'll go and you'll meet all the people at the Boston branch. And, and I was only at Roadrunner for like a year at this point. And it was like in December. So we went up there. Lou drove. It, we had so much fun because, you know, Lou never stops talking. We had, and he was telling me all about like girls he was dating and stuff. It was fun. It was super fun. So we get up there and we pick up Corey Taylor and and um, Josh and, and Shauna Kanamaki. And we picked them up to take them to the in-store and we're, we're waiting. And, you know, cause you, when back then you would pick them up in a van, you know, in one of those big, like, you know, Chevy vans where it could sit, sit like eight people. So we're sitting in there and we got a copy of Kerrang, which had the review of Stone Sour's self-titled first record, the Stone Sour record. Uh, and Corey Taylor opens it up and he's reading it. And it's like, and the review basically says that this is like Corey Taylor light, basically. And they're like, you know, it doesn't have that bite that we love and expect from Corey Taylor. And he read that out loud and he goes, fuck you, screamed at the magazine in the, proving their point that the Corey Taylor they wanted, who just screamed fuck you, was screaming at the magazine for saying that that's what they weren't getting. And I just remember, I wish I had filmed that because it was such an honest like uncompromised unfiltered moment with court the that showed the brilliance of Corey taylor you know <laughs> oh, and the and the two sides of him he's reading it and he's like you know he's always like oh judas priest with his and he he's so talkative and he's so gift of gab and he just stopped and basically yelled fuck you to a magazine it was just the cutest thing it was one of my favorite memories with him because you know he's larger than life he's i still watch him perform and i'm always in awe i think he's one of the best front men ever but I have some of my greatest memories of Roadrunner with him, you know, because some people think like it's Corey Taylor. He's untouchable. He's actually really an accessible guy. I, I think I said this last time. Like I remember one time we had a bunch of interviews when I moved to the press department and he fell asleep with Griffin, his son, when he was a baby and he missed all his interviews and he called me back at the office. And he's like, cause he's calling me Ames. And he was like, Ames, I missed all my interviews. He goes, tell every journalist, I'll give him 15 extra minutes for wasting their time. And that's just the kind of guy he is, you know, like he, He's like, I was like, you fell asleep with Griffey, your son. Nobody can fault you for that. You're being a good dad and you have a baby. And he still, he gave every interview where it was like billboard, all these picks up. He gave everybody extra time. And I was like, that's just how awesome he was, you know, and it's like, he, he's the real deal, you know, and I have some great, really great memories with him. And I, and some people think he's so intimidating and he is, and he's like my height, but he's still intimidating. But um, it's just, I'll never forget him looking at that magazine. And like, basically I was like, wow, if that magazine was a person, they would have probably fell into a puddle of tears because it was intense. Well, I, I remember when they, they said Glassjaw's album was rap rock because Ross produced it. I didn't even listen to it. <laughs> I was like, you obviously did not listen to this record. Mm. And I called and I tried to get the guy fired. 
I remember when I started, when I, when I started, before I started at Roadrunner, when I had my first interview with Jamie for the job I actually had turned down, uh, I remember telling her, I'm like, Jamie, I don't really like Cold Chamber, you know, and you were like, listen, a lot of this music is lost on me. Do you think I like Sepultura? No, but you can tell the story. You were like, you can tell the story. You, you can go in there and make this stuff happen. I know you can. She goes, I do it. And I know you could do it. I was like, but I really love Blast Jaw. And it sounds like they're having problems with Road Energy. You're like, well, you're like, we work the bands at the label. What's priorities at the label? And if they're off cycle or they're having problems, you have to move on to the next thing, you know? So I learned lessons from you, even from doing a job interview about how things work. Like, yes, Glass Jaw is one of my favorite bands. One of my favorite releases of all time but if it wasn't if it was all cycle it wasn't something that was you know we were shifting our attentions to the things that were newly coming out that's the difference between being a fan and a publicist you know (laughs) it's like when you're the publicist you have to go with the priorities of the company yeah because everybody wants like i was working at better noise recently and everybody was home because of the pandemic and everyone wanted to do interviews, but I could only work some, like a few things because I couldn't give everyone what they wanted. Priorities, you know? I mean, it's just not humanly possible. So one thing I wanted to ask was, um, you had to push Monty though, didn't you? Because he, with the Roadrunner United project, he was the one doing the interviews, right? He did do press around it. He did a lot of radio interviews for me, like SOU and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Was, how was he like that? Because he probably wasn't like, He's not a rock star, so he probably wouldn't have. He, he probably had Yeah, shy. he's a shy dude, so I imagine. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do press. Right. Yeah. He was like, uh, "Make Jonas do it." <laughs> but yeah, Monty was always very, very shy that way. You know what I mean? He's the guy in the, the bald guy in his office. You know, and be coming here, come in. You want to hear this the new Machine Head yeah. record, which mm. I remember he played that for. He played the Blackening for me at the Roadrunner Christmas party in December two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. This is fucking amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the best releases that we ever put out. Well, let, let's talk about the show then. So, Rody and I show. How yeah, f- I got Billy Volo to come because I had just come back from Universal where I was working him. Mm-hmm. And Billy and I were talking about what a huge Typo Negative fan he was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Actually, I have a proposal for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, he came and he did the Typo song. Who brought Scotty in? And I know Scotty in has a connection anyway because SOD was Roadrunner in Europe, right? I think so. Was that yeah. just him going? Scott Ian right, is just I'll like a guy it. around town. You know, he's like it's easy to not easy, but Scott Ian's accessible. You know, like he's always it's like if you need if you're working on something with an artist and he like you can get to him pretty easily. It's actually really helpful. Yeah, yeah, especially when you need someone to play. Um, speaking, no, it wasn't. It was March of SOD, wasn't it? That song that they opened up with, I think. Gosh. I can't remember. Have you talked to Phil Caso at all? You should talk. He he's still he's still there. He's like on the Atlantic side, on the radio side now. But Phil Caso's been there probably the longest. And uh, I remember he was passed out at the Roadrunner United party, sitting behind Case and Jonas, passed out. Everybody was having so much fun, and I was like, "Oh, I'm so stressed out." Like I had like four people as runners for me that night, and I gave everyone a kit with like cigarettes and a lighter and blah 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 and they were like what's this for i go it's for keeping the artists where they are <laughs> they aren't allowed to go anywhere to get anything you have everything in this package yeah, because they're not going to come back right <laughs> so- 
I was going to say it was the, like press there or something. Or was it yeah. just, right, right? No, there was a lot of press there and we had photographers and I had to organize a photo with everybody. And oh my God. But it was like just so many people from the history of the company were there. They flew in all the European people. Yeah. You know, I think the only major, two major vocalists, I think Monty said that weren't involved with Roadrunner United. I think it was the only major one, I think was D, um, uh, Burton C. Bell, I thought it was. And I remember Max Cavalera couldn't make it and Gloria sent flowers to us, Aww. you know, and it was because Max was another one. I mean, I think I worked 500 Max related albums and he was a gem, just a gem of a human he being. Was and he, he was Roadrunner too, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like Max Cavalera should have a statue in the lobby, you know, and he was just a sweetheart. Um, and Gloria was great to work with. She too. was. A lot of people talk about it. Gloria was, I never had to ask twice for anything. Hey, at OzFest, Gloria would sit with Sharon Osbourne and I would just like, oh, can I sit with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Gloria always like, let me hang out. So that was good because when I was younger, like I just wanted to learn from the best, you know? Yeah. And, she was and that reminds me of the, the Cold Chamber Shock the Monkey video shoot with Ozzy in it. Sharon was managing Cold Chamber at the time. I didn't, every time I flew out to LA, I got sick for some reason. Um, and so I fly out to LA, I get off the plane. Uh, MT, I had MTV News coming to the video shoot. Right. My first message was Sharon going, hi, Ozzy might not be at the shoot tomorrow. I'm sure that's fine. Okay, I'll see you later. Second was, hey, it's MTV News. We're so excited that Ozzy's going to be at the shoot tomorrow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I, I got so agitated that I got shingles. Oh, my God. I went to the hotel. I went to bed. I woke up with spots all over my face. So I took a, a baseball hat and put it on and sunglasses, and I went into Sharon Osbourne's office to Jennifer Perry at the time was working with her. And Jennifer was like, what is going on with your face? <laughs> that part feels great. And Sharon and Jennifer found me a clinic to go to, <laughs> to get medication. Wow. Oh, I had shingles on the left side of my oh, face. The head makes you break out in shingles, great. Roadrunner made me break out in shingles. I blamed Roadrunner forever for that. It's kind of, it's kind of easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about the first time you met Trivium then? I'm, I'm, I'm full of piss and vinegar on Trivium all the time. And I've just, I haven't, I was watching some old 2005 footage of them. I was like, fucking hell, there's, there's so much urgency to those shows. What the hell was that like when they first saw, like, came onto the label? Um, well, Trivium was like part of a wave of new and up and coming bands that we had signed. Like it was Trivium, Three Inches of Blood. The agony scene still remains. I remember they had done that tour. And Trivium, Road Road, and yeah. I always I always kind of liken it to this. When I started at Roadrunner, it was like Fear Factory, Typo, and Sepultura. I was working their last records pretty much for the label, and they were kind of cycling out. And then it was like Slipknot was start was breaking. Killswitch had signed. Um, you know, there was Glassjaw. There was a, a Cold Chamber had shifted to Devil Driver. Uh, and Machine Head soon was going to put out a return to form album with Through the Ashes of Empires. Yep. Uh, and then we had Trivium and Monty was really they, like, okay, I'm going to share an inside joke um, me, between me and Dave Rath. <laughs> but like all the time when, when Trivium 
like they revitalized Monty. I feel like they were like a band that Monty was like found and loved and it tried, it's kind of like reinvigorated him okay. um, and was like reminded him of the, I, this was my assessment of the classic bands that signed a Roadrunner, you know, that he had signed. Mm -hmm. And he would always just like, and then Trivium really did like, they got to a point, especially in the UK, where they were really like just massive over there. Yep. And we were developing them here over time to be a solid metal band, but it was much quicker in the UK. You know, here they have built into such a respectable what they are. You know, Matt Hafey has is now at the point where he commands looks in the press that took a long time to get to and it's amazing to be a part of but that took more time here they got accepted yeah. i think quicker in the uk um yeah. and it took more time here and i just remember mozzie would always be like oh trivium blew up <laughs> they just always would say that mediums in meetings sorry and so me and dave rath always say that to each other um but it, trivium really um you know matt was just always a really smart kid um he was um, a fan of music you know, he would, when I first met him, he was talking to me about how he was like, how much he like loved emo as much as he loved black metal. And it was not fake. It was like, he was really listening to the stuff closely and it was yeah. inspiring him. So I think the fact that Matt is really smart and an excellent player, and he's surrounded by great players, Paolo, you know, and Corey, um, those guys also are full of personality. I always tell people when they ask me to interview Matt and I say, Hey, Matt, Matt really does limited press because he's Matt Hafey at this point. And I always tell people, Talk to Paolo. He's a great interview. He's entertaining. Whenever I listen to his interviews, I love them. I'm like, I would recommend Paolo over Matt because he's just so entertaining at this point. And people come back and they're like, oh my God, Paolo's like one of my favorite interviews ever because he's just fun. And I think they just always did it right. They just get better with every album. They get better with age. I still look at In Waves and I think that's one of the best things that they've ever done. I think Matt just thinks really thinks things without overthinking them and he was just always started out as a really smart kid you know i remember when they um were opening for machine head when on burn my eyes 10th anniversary tour i remember in philly matt came out after they played and he was like oh my god that was crowd was brutal i said well it's philly it's always going to be brutal but you're opening for machine head on an anniversary tour for an album people love and they just matt just he he stares everything down really with like a like he wants to just he wants to go out there and kill it and it's not like so obvious he's just a smart talented kid you know and just um you know it's real with matt everything about him is real yes and i, I think, think that people felt that we we pontificated on sort of current era matt hafey like last time we spoke but i think yeah. it's like the manifestation of that is kind of like it's post excess rock and roll era isn't it it's just pure smarts the guy's yeah. not tempted to do is not tempted to have the lifestyle effect well he's got twins you know at home yeah. and and he's twitching like, but, but I think I told you, we went on a press day. Um, uh, I, I remember like it was like 2016 and this was before Twitch was what it is now. And Matt was twitching from, he was like, Hey, can I, can I go on my Twitch channel while I do this guitar play through a guitar world? And then we went to do a metal injection thing in Brooklyn and he was twitching the whole entire time. And there's like Twitch videos. Sometimes you see me in the background going like, like organizing things like yeah. what we do, James. <laughs> so, um, and I think I told you that people say, hey, I see you in like my Starbucks guys. Like, I saw you in the Trivium video. And I was like, you got to be a fan to have recognized me in that video. And it, I was like, what fan? Because it was me. He's like, uh, Matt Hafey and Trivium. I love that he calls them Matt Hafey and Trivium, my <laughs> Starbucks guy, uh, James. But um, yeah, he, um, like, I just think that Matt is in a different a different place now. He, yeah. they were a little wild when they first started. And I think, the, I think it was a little bit pumped up, like, in the media, because when, like, I didn't look at Trivium as these big wild party animals. They just look like kids, you know? Yeah. And 
first of all, they were they were the babies when I was there. They were my babies, but you knew how crazy it was from the Roadrunner retreat, dude. You, oh gosh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was in, yeah, my roommate. That was my roommate situation. I, I slept on a couch. That was really Whitney, fun. Whitney and I took you in. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm going to go crash with Gitter, which I really don't want to do because I don't know what it smells like in there. And it's probably not good. And I love Gitter. But I was like, I got kicked out of my room at the, at the Roadrunner retreat. Do I want to hear the story? That would probably be an off the record one. Yeah, that's got to be an off the record. <laughs> um. But I have a good on the record one. Um, when Roadrunner United was happening and I had a million interviews I needed them to do, Joey and Matt were on OzFest at the time. So I went to LA, got Dino and Rob, rented an RV, filled it with food and beer, and drove it from LA to San Bernardino. Right. And basically trivium raided the rv and took all the beer <laughs> and came on sat with me and ate half the food oh my goodness <laughs> children <laughs> yeah i was like okay guys i was like come here are you eating like you know because they you were become the like a mom to these guys too because you're yeah. just like you know and you're spending so babies, much time with them you know they and they were the sweetest so yeah i went and and we had this RV. I, I can't believe I drove an RV from LA San, to San Bernardino. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. It was not. Meanwhile, the whole time, Rob was going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there Because <laughs> <laughs> he knew it would annoy me. And Dino was annoy was ignoring both of us. So... <laughs> Gosh, those dudes. It was like the classic era, though. You know what I mean? Like, all of our bands always toured together. So that always made it feel more like a family, too. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, if I'm going out to see Cole Chamber and Machine Head and playing together, I know I'm going to be doing stuff and taking them all to different interviews and, yeah. and getting them to do stuff together, you know, and that, that also kind of contributed to it being like a family. And Gee. one thing that everybody who's a fan of Fair Factory needs to know is Raymond Herrera eats more than any human being that I have ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> and Dino is not the one that eats a lot. And that was Raymond. <laughs> so. Is there any band that you thought should have gone further than, than they did during your ten years? Chilla Divine. Yeah. Absolutely. And Junkie XL. It was fucking brilliant record, critically acclaimed, but I don't maybe people weren't ready for it. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. drugstore record had uh, Tom York on it and didn't yeah. do anything, you know. I remember, no. too, like, when we started with Theory of a Dead Man, that was one of the bands. I used to do video promotion for them. And when I remember we started, um, it took us a long time to break them, you know. And I, I remember I considered that, like, I was proud, so proud to be a part of that success because also they're awesome dudes. Uh, but it took a long time for us. I mean, we worked, like, what, 11 singles off of Scars and Souvenirs, wow. I think. Um, and it was, like, just like it took time to get there, but Roadrunner really invested in them and, and artist development to break the band. It took a lot of money and a couple of records and a lot of singles, but I thought they were going to be bigger sooner because I thought Make Up Your Mind was like a smash hit and it, it was like a moderate hit, you know? I also think, I will say this, I think the one song, and I uh, it's funny because I recently got my brother into this band because he loves, he's like, I love Dirty Honey. And I was like, hold on a second. 
you need to listen to Blackstone Cherry. And I've got them the entire oh, Blackstone yeah. Cherry catalog. And I think Blackstone Cherry Soul Creek should be a smash hit because that's one of the best songs that Roadrunner ever released. And it's an anthem. It's yeah. got licks. It That song... And those guys were just awesome, just great Southern dudes. Yeah, um, they're exactly. huge in the UK. Here, they're yeah. they're a moderate band. But I remember when I first heard Soul Creek in a marketing meeting, I was like, "How? Like we're?" I was like, "This band, we're gonna break Blackstone Cherry on that song," and we didn't. Uh, and I always look back, and I don't know how that. I think Blackstone Cherry should have a platinum single with with Soul Creek. And if you don't know that song, go and listen to it because it is a fist in the air. It is an anthem. And my brother was like, how did you not introduce me to this song sooner? I love it. It's like, he goes, what an anthem. I go, I know you think 30 Honey's good. Listen to Blackstone Cherry. And he yeah. always says, there's no filler on that first record. I've actually got a Blackstone Cherry story. Oh, really? I can share a story. I went to download 2008. And then they, when you went in, they gave you this little, this little radio thing. And they did the little, this download radio. They had a little caravan next to the main stage where um, they'd either interview bands or they'd just say, oh, the fires broke out, keep away from this bit or whatever the fuck's going on. And they interviewed Ben uh, from Blackstone Cherry. And I was like, I was a relatively seasoned fan of Blackstone Cherry because it was before, it was like three months before Folklore and Superstition came out. Blind Man was what they were running on the festival circuit. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll go on to the main stage and I'll, 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 I'll see if I can catch the end of this interview. And I catch him as he's coming out of the caravan and we do the whole like shake hands and stuff like that. And I tell him that I was going to watch his set and I was also going to watch him at Grass Pop a few weeks later. And he was so fucking like gracious and appreciative that I'd to one taken the time to say hi then. And then that I was making a commitment to see him later on as well. He was like absolutely fucking blown away. That's like a Southern thing too. Like, yeah. Southern, you know, like in the South, they're just raised right. And like, I remember I used to talk to John, you know, um, John Bread's dad, all, you know, Richard Fred, all the right. time. Um, he would always call and he was awesome. And like, I think that that was a great Southern rock band that mm. had, I thought they had hit after hit and it just, it, I don't know why. That should have been a, a smash, Soul Creek. It's my favorite song in their entire catalog. I can listen to it at any time, and I feel great every time I listen to it because it's such a good song. I wish we could have broke that song. Yeah. Maybe someday. That's 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 my favorite song by them. Not. <laughs> I'm not no, saying not. maybe someday. Uh, maybe someday hard. from first album. Uh, Here comes the rain. Can... That's a good song too. Um, rain. The rain. Wayne Wizard. Sorry. Rain Wizard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just going by the hook, <laughs> but um, Soul Creek is my favorite by them, and. Um, and I think, look, I look back and I, at 36 Tracy Fist, um, you know, snow-capped romance. And I remember Jose at Sirius was a huge proponent of playing that. He used to play at the end of August every five seconds when Sirius, Liquid Metal, when it was Heart Attack, was just getting started. Mm. And um, that's a, that record is, uh, you know, I, I, I can't believe that I didn't like it when it came out. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed at myself for not, and because I look at it now and I'm like, wow, what, what a great record this was. How do, how do we, how do we fail this one? You know, cause it was so good. Yeah. I just think we didn't know what to do with it. And it was, I think it was ahead of the time, ahead of its time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. With, um, yeah. Oh. sorry, go on, Dave. Uh, I, I think, um, the Sheila Divine new parade is one of my favorite records of all time. Mm -hmm. And I think we weren't ready for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause uh, it should have been a hit. I, um, I was going to say, I was going to say, now the tiredness is getting to me. I apologize. 
Right. I, had, I, had, I had a good question slash observation, but now I've just fucking lost it. Oh, did oh, that you know about the hip hop label that we acquired at one point? That was the one. That was late late ninety seven, right? That was late ninety seven, ninety eight. No, no. Um, it might have been like ninety nine. It something, or, yeah. Yeah, it was like there were some rappers. I worked in Ultra Magnetic MCs record. Mm. Yeah, we reissued that too. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I worked in Ultramagnetic MC's record, and working with Cool Keith was one of the strangest experiences of my life. I'm gonna look this. I'm gonna look this up because it's bothering me that I don't know what it. Next Plateau. No, no, Next Plateau was actually there when I first got there. Next Plateau was prior to '97, um, and it tapered off when I got there in '97. Yeah. Um, God, and it was the one when Jim Mahoney came to work with us. Oh, Jim course, Mahoney yeah. is, you know, Jim Mahoney, right? Yeah, he he declined to. Uh, oh yeah, well he he's at Merlin now. Now he's yes. like he's a big shot. I like him. Uh, I always had fun. I sat next to him, so. Um, yeah, he seems like a good dude. Yeah, he worked the hip hop stuff. We used to call, uh, who called him? I think Mike called him Jim Mahoney. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have Rich Perkins on. Rich oh, Perkins. Yeah. Rich Perkins. He was like the stealth funniest guy at the label. Funniest guy in the company. I'm sitting back there in the middle of all of us and just making comments and, and observing and understanding. Mm -hmm. Un, dos, tres, cuatro. Remember that? We'd always do this. Oh, shit. Time right to fuck shit up. Fuck, he, fuck got shit up. <laughs> he got me a clock and it said, un, dos, dos tres, for the time. time to fuck shit up. Mm. Yep. Rich, I'm telling you, Rich Perkins probably has a lot of stories too. Is yeah. he? Uh, is he IT? Yes. Yeah. Right. I've definitely Andrew Carpenter. I mean, he was always the silent guy in the back. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, but he was like the silent creepy dude. Yeah, Rich Perkins um, was the fun guy. Yeah, Rich was fun. Um, and then who else did I sit next to that left? Oh, Carl Severson. You talked yeah. to him, right? Yes. Yes, okay. love Carl. Um, he was another one next to me. <laughs> here's what I was going to ask. Did you ever get an anxiety attack watching Joel O'Keefe climb the fucking rigging at every show? Because I did. Oh, Joel from Airborne? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It just, I, I can't remember which song it would be, but there'd be like an extended solo bit, and he'd climb the fucking rigging. And yeah, and he was like a small, he's a small guy, too. Yeah. So you're just like, man, if he falls, he's not making it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was after my time, but I had Dillinger escape plan by then, so <laughs> I know what anxiety attacks are like. Yeah, Why yeah. Greg, Greg blowing fire at people's faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, you know, like I just look at it like even a band like Slipknot, you know, they would even record like a video for our Roadrunner retreats. You know what I mean? They were, um, I, you know, I, I feel like. You know, as in, as untouchable as they might have seemed, I I I was really on the ground with them a lot and have mm. a lot of great memories of, you know, just uh, you know, Corey Taylor. You know, I, one of my favorite memories is when we gave them plaque, platinum plaques for uh, Volume Three, and uh, you know, Corey Taylor just getting emotional, thanking all of us for everything that we did for him. You know, and I'll never yeah. forget that as long as I live. You know, because uh, coming from a guy like that, it's like wow, it just makes you want to run to your desk and work harder for them the next day. Yeah, I mean, I was with them at the Grammys the year they won. And I said to them, I go, you guys better get here early. You better be sober. 
And, and like, they liked to torture me because I was so serious. So Corey Brennan liked to torture me too at the time. So Corey Brennan was with them and he's like, yeah, we're going to drink some beers. And then I'm like, Corey, and he, <laughs> he's like, no, everyone's fine. And I'm like, you have to get there early. And he's like, why? They had to go through an extra security check because they wanted to wear masks on the oh, red right, carpet. Right. And let me tell you, good thing I wore sneakers that year because oh, I had to run good. back and forth on the red carpet. And But the, the funny thing, it made me think of it when you said that people saw you in the background, Aim, because everybody saw me in the background <laughs> for all of the live shots that we did with Slipknot because I had to basically yank them and drag them down the red carpet to get there. Mm. The like, red carpet is always. You were just on E, and I'm like, really? <laughs> so many people with us the year Slipknot won. Oh, I'm sure it was like, like a huge. Every guy and their girlfriend and Ross Robinson and whoever Ross Robinson was with, and yep. then Steve, the the younger Steve, and I, oh my God, there were so many people that I had to bring a friend with me that year and tell her to get the back, wrangle everybody else the front. Because That's what people. We're, we're adult babysitters, basically. Public yeah. adult babysitters. Oh, yeah. And then they get on there and they're thanking everybody. Like, everybody. Not me. <laughs> you're right there. there. <laughs> what about meatloaf, Amy? Yes. Um, uh, I worked with, I, I got to work with meatloaf. Um, he was a part of um, Roadrunner's um, Loud and, uh, Proud Loud and Proud label. And uh, when I worked with him, I was the only person in the press department at that time. It was just me. And I remember um, one day we had two full days booked of like the Greta Van Susteren, CNN, the Today Show, Good Morning America. We were going all around doing the press tour. And I spent yeah. the whole two days with him and Francis, his day-to-day -day manager, Chris Brown was with us. And I had a great time. And I remember like just posting on Facebook, like, hey, I'm spending my day, me and Meatloaf, we're going to see Hoda and Kathy Lee. We're going to Good Morning America. We, I had a great time with him. He was a gentleman. Um, and he was a legend. It was meatloaf. I mean, when I, that's when I can tell my parents I work with meatloaf and they'll understand what I do, you know, where I start like, well, do you go to these shows to like root them on? They don't understand what my job is, you know? Oh. And, um, so my parents don't either. Yeah. They don't get, well, I they don't understand what you're doing. And I just like, listen, I'm an adult babysitter, but, um, <laughs> You know, Meatloaf was, he was great. You know, it was, it was different for us because it was like, you know, this was my first experience working with like breakfast television and major media outlets like yeah. the Today Show uh, and getting to go there and be like, oh my God, look at Kathy Lee, you know, like, so um, he, I, I really enjoyed my time working with him. He was very, he was a total professional. Hand cool teddy bear is a fucking beast. But I always, when, when me and my missus first got together, she was like, oh, the hand did a, went to see Meatloaf and they were just handing this album out for free. Yeah. It's like, as you go in, because because he's like, he's, he's not stupid. He'd be like, I know you're here for Bad Out of Hell, but listen to that album. That that's all, yeah, it. like, exactly. Like, that's all people care yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, that, that record, like, you got Hugh Laurie playing fucking piano. You got Justin right. Hawkins writing, like, three or four songs post-Darkness Justin Hawkins, but immediately pre-Redarkness. Fucking Bon Jovi's written a song on it. It's bonkers. There's just so much shit going on. It's really good. It's really yeah. fucking. It's one of my. I, I have it on all the time. To be fair, I think it's really awesome. Well, that label, Loud and Proud, was interesting. We had Collective Soul, you know, who had a, a lot of hits in the U.S. That's awesome. They had uh, Sammy Hagar. Yep. You know, it was an interesting Rob Zombie. Um, it was an Lenny. interesting label. Yeah, and um, Slash was on Road Runner, not. He was on Road Runner proper, but that was not in the U.S. No, it was in. It was in Europe. That one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was. 
Yeah, it was never. Did you meet William Luff, by the way? He was, he's in the UK. He's got a company called Willful Publicity now. He was Michelle Kerr's counterpart when I started. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He was Michelle Kerr's counterpart at Roadrunner. That's how I know him. Right. I no. didn't realize I always thought it was just her. Uh, I figure since you're there, maybe you want to meet him. I can intro you if you want. Go for it. Yeah, I'm all ears for everyone, as you can tell. William's great. He's wonderful. I work on a couple of projects with him now. So Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Oh, guys, I'm, I'm, I've run out of, like, things I'm curious about. Is there, is there anything I have two that... things left to tell you. Go for it. Give me okay. everything. One was the night of the typo-negative beach shoot. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. with the yeah. reflectors, the picture I sent you the link of. So yeah. Stephanie Cabral wanted to shoot them. Um, and she picked out the location because I was in LA. I didn't know where it was going. And um, Kathy Merritt came with us. Just to, and, just to be clear, there's, there's a, because I don't think I can put it on screen without permission and to save the effort. There's an image of the yeah. four guys on the beach with like sun reflectors, but it's the moon is nice and gothic and dark and cool sorry yes yes sorry with that playgirl sorry uh and, uh, trust me i was the keeper of the playgirl for many years you gave um, it to me when you left yeah um so we went on the beach we got harassed by the police we all got parking tickets and jonas wouldn't pay my parking ticket. he wouldn't no. Oh man. And and Peter was like, you better pay your parking ticket. And then um, and I'm surprised he didn't say I'll I'll burn the fucking building down. Uh, he he probably did. Um <laughs> He probably did. Except for Joni. He would have said, get Joan Bolvin out, get Joni out. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's called Joan Joni. Joan Bolvin. <laughs> And remember Linda, uh, is she married to Dave still? Yeah, Linda Kuznets. Yeah, she's married yeah. to Raph. Oh, uh, okay. So she was our art director, and she and I were talking, and Peter comes in and goes, did you pay your parking ticket? I'm like, no. He goes, I'm going to talk to him. I'm like, no, 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 don't talk to him, please. And, and then he was like, all right, so let's go. And I go, I have plans tonight. He goes, yes, with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? what and Linda goes, mean? Uh, yeah, you're coming with us because he wanted Linda to go out for dinner with him and she wouldn't go if I didn't come. <laughs> so I was like, yes, you have plans with me. So I <laughs> call my boyfriend and tell him I have plans with Peter Steele. Sorry. <laughs> like, and Pete Steele's like this, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was one thing that I wanted to tell you. And then the other thing was... It wasn't Roadrunner United because we talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest one more person that you talk to, too. But Yeah, go ahead. I think you should talk to Aaliyah. Yeah, he was fun. Aaliyah, he was Aaliyah is, he will give you great stories and he will have you piss in your pants. And oh, then yeah. you can ask him to do his psychosocial dance, which is this. <laughs> He no, psychosocial in the office and he would just crank it and start doing it and I, I would like to see him do it on camera but Aaliyah, Aaliyah what, like, like a brother to me, love him to death he he will have you pee in your pants if you talk Yeah, I believe Aaliyah has been contacted through, I believe it was Austin Stevens it could have been uh -huh. so I'm, I'm I can check. text him, I can send him a yeah. message I talk to him all the time because we still work together yeah. uh, he's an awesome human being too and Phil Queso, Phil is still Phil is the last man standing, Phil has been at Roadrunner the longest Okay. And Phil Queso, also love like a brother. We'll have a lot of great stories. But What's I mean, what are you doing now? 
Aliyah's at Concord. He's he's pretty much like the, one of the heads of radio at Concord. Oh, wow. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, oh, he's the best. short thing about Nickelback. So I used to, I when I was working the long road, uh, I had to go to, to, to uh, Vancouver a lot. And I went there like a couple of weeks before the long road came out and I'm sitting with the band and we're talking about press strategy and my phone rings. And it was somebody from Spin asking if they could get an advanced copy. And I'm like, no. And the woman's like, why can't I get an advanced copy? I'm like, you already know what you're gonna write. <laughs> the whole band went insane. That was when they decided they were gonna trust me. I told them, I'm not servicing this for reviews. What am I, a masochist? <laughs> I'm like, people can buy it if they want to review it. I'm like, you'll be on television, you'll do, you know, Q&As, but there won't be any opinions. And that's when I, we started really getting along. <laughs> so. I like that. Uh, no, that is cool. There's plenty. There's, as, as I said, like now that I've got the substance down in terms of like the academic side of it, it's, it's time to just like tell fun stories. So, and, and and I want to make sure that like this is really clear. Like, I will never have a job that I loved as much as that job. I will never Thanks. have a group of people that I loved more like family than I did. Not most of the people. I'd say ninety nine percent of the people yeah. that work for the company and those fucking bands. Like, you know, I consider Rob Flynn my family. I consider Jesse Leach and Adam D my family. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I love um, some of the managers, Kenny and Vaughn, you know, Corey Brennan, as much as I, you know, is, he makes me nuts a lot of the times because that's right. how he gets you to want to just show him how awesome you are. Well, he, it's a good he strategy. Tortured, he yeah. tortured his sisters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. He, he, he's, it's a, he's a good stra- strategist that way. Like yeah. all those, like, you know, you know, Joey Jordison's death, you know, broke my heart in half. And, you know, like, uh, everybody from like Karen Dillett to Rich Perkins, Veronica, you know, all those people who worked there were like family. Yeah. You know? I, I will say, Jim, I learned so much from you. You taught me so much, you know, about I mean, how to do press, how to handle these guys, how to get myself in check. You know, Jamie is always like, you give too many fucks. You've got to pull back a little bit and put yourself first. And you like, you know, you, and I would call you be like, there are times I call Jamie be like, Jim, I'm so mad about this. And you'd be like, listen, here's how it, you and the best advice you ever gave me your internal campaign is just as important as your external campaign and i take that with me to this day so well and also i gave somebody else like a a lesson the other day a young publicist and i said you know i remember you were at roadrunner and there was an indie and they were trying to do some tv thing and you were mad about it and i go why you win if they get it Mm-hmm. You know, this all, all the credit goes to you. It doesn't matter who the hell you hired, right? you know, and it doesn't matter what they do. This is your department and the right. credit. And I, I, it took me a while to understand that. Yeah. Because I, I mean, took it so it, personally. Well, it was the advantage of me not being a metal fan coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I you attribute like, it all to that. Yep. And I think that, and I feel like it, like, for me, it's like, it's my biggest hindrance and my biggest help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love the people in metal. There's no better people than in this genre. So, you know, and I mean, I, I, want to echo what Amy says, like the best job I ever had, the most like family. I talked to every, almost everyone still Mm -hmm. and great memories. And, and when Peter Steele died, I I couldn't even stand up. I had to sit down. 
I think I, I, you and Jason that. Pettigrew were the first people I reached out to when he died. Yeah. Yeah. I knew how much you guys loved him. I yeah. spent so much time with him and with that band and the people that I remain the closest with are Johnny Kelly and Kenny Hickey. And I also think, Jane, we need to find out how we're all getting Dragon Force Platinum plaques. Cause I'm pretty sure that, uh, Hey, Roadrunner is the only label that gave me plaques. Even fucking <laughs> Universal, these cheap ass motherfuckers didn't give me a, a, a Godsmack plaque when I got a number one record there. You know, all my plaques are here. I worked Bad Wolves and I got, I didn't get a plaque for that platinum single. <laughs> I didn't get a fucking plaque for that single and I was the only publicist at the label. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, Roadrunner is the only label that ever gave me plaques. There, you know what? They used to make us go every year to the Roadrunner retreat. And you know what? On paper, when you think about that, I have to give up my weekend, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, we have to drive back two hours. So by the time you get home, it's five o'clock. Your weekend is completely shot. And I might add that one of the Roadrunner conventions was also my birthday weekend one year. So I had to give up my birthday weekend. And you look at that paper, you're like, how hard? And you and the Roadrunner conventions were three days of meetings. It wasn't yeah. just parties. It was three days of meetings. And then they would get, get you drunk. But I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, I wouldn't do so that for anyone else. What's that? I wouldn't do that, I I wouldn't do that for any other job. I would, I would uh, I, anybody else, you probably would put a mutiny out for that. And I was always like, oh, the Rotary Convention, we're really going to have a lot of fun. And like they made, they put us all together for like three days and we, we all had a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have done that for anyone else. Me neither. And, uh, you know, I, I had the best time. I mean, you know. It was the best. It really was. They'll never, it'll never be replicated. And I always say, you know, a lot of people look at it like, how do we break bands like they used to at Roadrunner? Nobody's going to. Not like we I remember in a different time, but not like we did. Yeah. One Roadrunner convention, I had a typo on Howard Stern. And we had to watch them. On, it was the Channel 9 <laughs> show, uh, Howard Stern Channel 9 show. And oh Gary Be Delabate called me in the middle of us playing paintball. <laughs> I <laughs> riddled with bullets. <laughs> Typical politics, right? Always, always <laughs> yeah. I had my phone in my pocket. Jonas was like, why do you have your phone in your pocket? I'm like, you people are too competitive. I'm leaving. Yeah, or they don't understand that, like, I remember when you said, Jane, the best thing, publicist, it's just another word for somebody to blame. <laughs> True. Oh, man, but if you ever need me, 